Welcome to the Psych Central Show, where each episode presents an in-depth look at issues from the field of psychology and mental health, with host Gabe Howard and co-host Vincent M. Wales. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Psych Central Show podcast. My name is Gabe Howard, and I'm here with my fellow host, Vincent M. Wales. And today, Vincent and I will be talking to Erica Nielsen, who is the author of Sound Mind, My Bipolar Journey from Chaos to Composure. She is a professional cellist and a writer who lives in Toronto, which is in Canada. Erica, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you so much, Gabe and Vince. It's such an honor to be here. Uh, well, we are well, we're glad to have you. you. Thank you. So, Erica, first I want to say that, holy cow, I, I envy you for being a, a professional musician. That had been a dream of mine as, uh, as a young man and didn't quite hit it. Ah, you know, I think that's a, it's a common story for so many people, but, um, you know, so, and then some of us uh, were able to stick with it and that's what I do for a living. Yeah. Well, it's very and cool. so, and that you were in your late twenties when you were diagnosed as bipolar, correct? So I was diagnosed in my late twenties and, uh, it seems to be a pretty common story, um, for those with bipolar disorder to be diagnosed in their late twenties. So I assume that by the time you were diagnosed, you were well into your musical career. Is that right? Yes, I was. So in Sound Mind, um, which is a unique book in that it's both a part memoir and a part self-care manual. The first section tells my story about growing up in a musical household, becoming a professional musician, a professional cellist. And along the way, I share um, the symptoms I had that led to my diagnosis of type 1 bipolar disorder. In the second section of Sound Mind, I outline all of the habits I had to change, the self-care steps, and the tools I used to achieve stability. Well, that is really very cool. It, you know, obviously, we don't want you to read the book on the show because we only have, you know, 20 some minutes. But what were some of the symptoms that, that led to your diagnosis? Well, uh, bipolar disorder um, often first presents as major depression in, for example, teenagers. I, I think I can look back and even see symptoms within my childhood um, in terms of not sleeping well, kind of aggression that I would, that I would hold in. And I had tumultuous teen depression. On the outside, I was cheerful and bubbly and artistic and outgoing, but behind closed doors, my self-worth felt like zero. Um, I am um, very, very, uh, very depressed. I felt wretched and worthless and that I didn't deserve my talents or my privileges. I, I very sadly, you know, culminated in a suicide attempt and uh, I was suicidal for a long time. And at the time, the people around me, my family, my community would tell me, oh, yep, you're perfectly normal, normal ups and downs. This is what teenagers experience. And I believe them, but, you know, I had this haunting suspicion for years, I mean, a decade leading up to my, di to my real diagnosis that there was something more going on. I just, I just knew in my heart, like, you know, it's not normal to want to take your own life. It's not normal to be this depressed. Now, I'm telling you the symptoms I noticed when I was growing up were depressive symptoms. That's all I noticed. So fast forward um, for my teen years, Throughout my 20s, I um, had always seen a therapist because, again, I suspected that the symptoms I experienced as a teenager with depression, there was something more to it. It wasn't quite right. 
So I saw a therapist throughout my 20s thinking I was just taking care of my childhood issues and getting ready for a normal adulthood. And, you know, and then I got married at age 27. And a month after my wedding, I was just totally high as a kite. You know, my career was rocking. Um, I was starting a new chapter. Um, you know, I was like frantically cleaning my house. And I, w- and I decided, you know what? I am going to find out once and for all what those teen depressions were all about. I'm going to go to the doctor. I'm going to get myself a professional diagnosis and a psychiatric analysis. And they're going to pat me on the back, tell me what my family and everyone had told me for years, that I'm completely normal or I have a very boring condition like mild social anxiety or 21st century syndrome. And I'm going to walk out of there feeling amazing. Well, spoiler alert, that's not what happened when I got that psychiatric assessment. You know, it, it's interesting what you said that the depression you realized was abnormal, but it, it sounds like you didn't notice the mania at all. And that, that's very common. Mania feels good. Uh, you know, speaking as a fellow person who lives with bipolar disorder, it's like, I feel great. Yeah, I'm going to run to the doctor because I feel great. That that doesn't... <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Like... I had no idea what mania was, and I think that's a really common story. I thought I was just me, and what being awesome me was, it meant I felt amazing most of the time, and I had flights of creative ideas because I'm a musician, I'm an artist, I like to write, um, that's who I am. I don't really sleep all that well. Closing my eyes and feeling like I'm watching TV channels flicker and with background music, that's what sleeping feels like to me. I don't know any different. Um, am I hypersexual? Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm off of this and that guy. And so my symptoms of mania, they were presented to me as symptoms and it was complete news to me. It was the shock of my life when the psychiatrist suggested that at least a few periods of my life were actually manic episodes and not just me being me. How did you react to that? What did you say to the doctor? You said, no, no, that was just me. I was in complete disbelief, denial, um, without even knowing it. I already had stigma towards mental illness. The day that I was diagnosed with a mental illness, my stigma came up. The image that came to mind were vagrant people on the street, teens yelling at each other, um, homeless people. It was, it was really, really, I'm ashamed to say what I thought bipolar was. And I had to do a lot of research to learn about this condition that I was told I had. It took me a long time to come to terms with um, what bipolar disorder was and learning about it. It's a lot to take in for anybody. Yeah. All of a sudden, I went from being a widely successful professional cellist and teacher and artist, and I thought my life was rocking. I was a newlywed, and all of a sudden, I became a person with a mental illness overnight. That has to be shocking, yes. Getting back to the musical aspect of your life, a lot of creative people, whether it's in music or writing or what have you, have been known to or at least were believed to have been mentally ill in some capacity. Do you feel there's any connection with your creativity and your mental illness? I, I want to answer that in kind of two ways. Um, as I mentioned before, 
So when I was first diagnosed and learning about mania, I assumed that my mania was the essence of what made me who I was as an artist and that mania was solely responsible for my creative spirit and my flights of ideas. I was resistant to taking medication because I remembered feeling flattened back in my teens. I had taken some SSRI for depression and that made me feel really, really flat. And I assumed that that would happen to me again if I treated bipolar disorder. But when I understood the severity of my manic episodes, I was more interested in achieving stability. So after a few years of patient trial and error and finding the right medication combination, I discovered, here's the drum roll, when I am having manic symptoms, I feel more creative and like my most amazing self in the spinning wheel of fabulousness that I experience. But that isn't really the case. I think I'm being more creative and expressive, but in reality, my thoughts, they're racing so fast, I can't articulate them well or complete them. I'm too frenetic to complete the tasks I start, and I do not accomplish more. And with very few exceptions, I'm not a better version of myself. It just feels that way. And I came up with this sentence that I think really sums up mania and the illusion that it is. Mania masquerades as creativity in the same way that lust masquerades as true lasting love. It's a chemical reaction within our brain, and it's a seductive illusion. That's fantastic. I realize I'm just as creative when I'm stable because that is who I am. I'm a creative, artistic, colorful person. And now that I've treated my condition, I'm able to actually complete the tasks and ideas that I start, and I can follow my projects to fruition. And, and isn't that really the, the key? I, I know what you mean about getting all of those great ideas at three in the morning. Of course. Uh, about thinking of a, a, a billion ways to solve all of my problems, your problems, the world problems. I even throw in some of Vince's problems. Uh, sure. But... I have absolutely no ability to take it from idea to fruition. It's, you know, let's let's talk about uh, being a cellist uh, for a moment. Would you say that it was difficult to practice when you were manic? Because I imagine, and I'm just, I'm just going by a stereotype here, to be a professional cellist, you probably practice hours a day. Oh, yeah, absolutely hours a day. And no doubt bipolar affected my playing as a musician. Yeah, I can't imagine sitting still for hours a day to accomplish anything uh, during both major depression and or a major hypomanic or manic episode. So that in and of itself should prove to all of our listeners that, yeah, yeah, mania is not awesome. We're going to step away to hear from our sponsor and we'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp.com. Secure, convenient, and affordable online counseling. All counselors are licensed, accredited professionals. Anything you share is confidential. Schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist whenever you feel it's needed. A month of online therapy often costs less than a single traditional face-to-face -face session. Go to BetterHelp.com forward slash Psych Central and experience seven days of free therapy to see if online counseling is right for you. BetterHelp.com forward slash Psych Central. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Erica Nielsen, author of Sound Mind, My Bipolar Journey from Chaos to Composure. When I was living with untreated bipolar disorder, before I knew I had it, I suffered from major performance anxiety, destructive and ruminating thoughts, mostly about my worthiness and ability, 
I was experiencing auditory hallucinations and blanking out. I was experiencing problems focusing, suicidal thoughts, and extreme impatience and irritability. I'd be practicing along intensely focused on what I was doing. And um, there's a scene in my book where my spouse comes over and he, and he basically whispers, I poured your tea. And, I'm, and I go, what? What are you doing? Get out of here. I pretty much just lose it. This irritability was constant for me. And then sleeping poorly made all of the above symptoms even worse and vice versa. So I thought all of this was just a part of being a performer and an artist and having an artistic personality. Or I thought it was a sign that if if I got performance anxiety, maybe I didn't deserve to be a musician or maybe I shouldn't be a musician. Hmm. I didn't even realize how exhausting it was to live in my brain until I finally got my diagnosis and found the right treatment. And interestingly, as we know, people with bipolar disorder often also suffer from comorbid disorders like major anxiety or ADHD. And I suffered from both of those. So I was working extremely hard all the time to cope with and hide my symptoms. So I'm incredibly relieved that I found an accurate diagnosis. And amazingly, treating my bipolar also treated the symptoms that affected my playing. And now I can perform better than uh, I ever thought possible. I can perform with more focus and ease than ever and allow my true abilities to shine. I still feel nervousness and excitement when I perform, but now it's in proportion and manageable. And I can sometimes even use it to my advantage. My thoughts are now organized and non-toxic. It's almost like someone turned the volume dial down 40% to a tolerable level. So I'm no longer scattered. I can focus. Little things don't distract or bother me anymore. Uh, Gabe, you were talking about, you know, you know, thinking about the 5 million ways to solve all the world's problems at 3 in the morning. Yeah. Imagine dialing that all down to maybe thinking of three ways to solve the world's problems and then being able to execute it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. There's a there's a quote that I really love and it has absolutely nothing to do with bipolar disorder, but I've applied it because, you know, that's what I do. And it's uh, never let perfection get in the way of progress. I love that quote, Gabe. Yeah. And it's one of the things that I always had a really, really hard time with once I got treated, once I found coping mechanisms and once I got better. Yeah, when I look at them objectively, when I look at plans that I have, are they perfect? No, but they're in the world. Every article that I have ever written, it's not perfect. I go back and read them and I find a comma that's out of place or I'm like, you know, I wish I would have been a little articulate over here or I read the comments section and I was like, you're right. I I should just on and on and on and on and on. But because I was able to get treated, all of these articles are out in the world to be discussed and to gain value. And whatever that value is, is up to the reader. And that's what I've learned as well. Before I got treatment, they were all in my head. Just up there. <laughs> yep. Right. Do, not getting out there and um, not seeing any readers. Um, that's, Gabe, that's one of my absolute favorite quotes. I also, I also reframe it to be, perfection is the enemy of great. Yes. Yes. I love that. I love that a lot. I want to switch gears for a moment. And one of the examples that I always use 
in every speech that I give about living with bipolar disorder is, you know, I take medication for bipolar disorder and I tell people that, you know, it's, there are side effects. There's most commonly sexual side effects. There, there's other types of side effects. And I say that, you know, I had to find the right medication that worked for me. And I always say, for example, one of my medications gives me a slight tremor, but hey, I'm not a professional musician, so I don't care. Right. Well, I'm now talking to somebody who lives with bipolar disorder who is a professional musician. Was this difficult for you? Because a slight tremor is very common in many of the bipolar medications. That's a great question, Gabe. Uh, as I mentioned, it took me two years to find the right medication that works for me, the right cocktail, as some people call it. For some people, it, they're still on that path and it's taken them even longer. So it took me two years and I'm not the medication I take is not free of side effects, but it has side effects that I can live with as a professional musician. Now, I'm very fortunate that I do not have a tremor. And it uh, allows me to get the rest I need. I can sleep, you know, sometimes upwards of nine to 10 hours. And as a freelancer, I'm ex I recognize I'm extremely fortunate that I can schedule my activities around my need for this sleep that my medication gives me. I say it gives me. I don't say my medication um, makes me sleep for too long. My medication gives me the sleep that I need to repair my brain. And I recognize that, you know, other people have nine to five jobs. They need to be up at seven. They need to be um, in their office by 830. I don't have to do that. So I can, for example, I don't schedule any private lessons or rehearsals before 10 in the morning, just so I have time to take my time in the morning and um, be at my freshest. And I often perform late in the concerts that I play. So for example, last week I was performing a concert of the music of Prince's Purple Rain. And this week it was a Baroque concert for, with music for harpsichord and Elton John's greatest hits. Well, all those concerts ran very late. So I made sure to not schedule anything first thing in the morning so that I could get my, the rest that I need to help treat my condition. Very cool. Let me just jump back to stigma. Yeah. You said that when you were diagnosed, you just had this automatic stigma that popped up. How did that change and when did it change? When I was first diagnosed with bipolar disorder, I wanted to learn as much as I possibly could about the condition. And I recommend this for anyone who's diagnosed with any mental health condition, mental illness. Um, learn as much as you possibly can about it. It sounds obvious, but I think there's still a lot of people out there that kind of just go to the doctor and seek treatment without really learning about what's going on for them. I read kind of um, how-to guides written by doctors. And I also read personal accounts, books about people who live with bipolar disorder. One of my favorites is actually a graphic memoir. It's illustrations written by a cartoonist, written by Ellen Forney, called Marble, Mania, Depression, Michelangelo, and Me. And reading that book was so monumental in making me feel like I wasn't alone because I think feeling isolation is really, really dangerous and is, is really, really hard. Yeah. It feels, it feels so lonely. Yeah. So as I mentioned, I 
when I was first slammed with this diagnosis, my own stigmas came up around it. And as I learned more about the condition, and I learned about famous figures who suffered from it, especially other artists and writers and musicians, and I learned how common it was. So the more knowledge I armed myself with, the more my own stigmas melted away. And stigma is so tough. My heart is just so full of compassion now for others who have mental health conditions like mine. I saw someone the other week on the subway and he was clearly psychotic. He was having a really rough day and I just, I just felt for him. I kind of smiled and nodded and I, and I said, I hope you take good care. Um, I know how many of us there are out there. Uh, I, stigma is still prevalent. Um, you know, while we're starting to have conversations about depression and anxiety and self-care, and it's becoming conversational, I think the, the two biggies, bipolar and schizophrenia, a lot of people aren't ready to touch yet. And I'm hoping to help change that. I also want to talk a little bit about other stigmas towards self-care, rest, getting sleep you need. I came from a workaholic environment and when I was taking a moment of rest or a break, any moment like that I meant, made me feel like I was being lazy and self-indulgent and not productive. And I made myself physically sick with gastric reflux disease and digestive issues and I wreaked havoc on my mental health from being a workaholic. And now that I've had to treat my chronic stress and chronic workaholism to treat my bipolar disorder, I had to rethink my whole schedule and the whole way I approach my work life. And I got to tell you guys, Gabe and Vince, I am so over chronic, frantic busyness. And what I've discovered is it's still possible. I have a very full schedule, but I've put changes in place to make sure I'm not racing from one thing to the next, which just exasperates my condition. There's also a huge stigma out there against getting adequate sleep and prioritizing sleep. We also all know someone who brags about how little sleep they get, or they think they can function on just a few hours. Like sleeping more somehow means you are not being productive. I completely disagree. I can get so much more done now that I'm fully rested. My brain can actually repair and heal itself. So the opposite is absolutely true. The more rested I am, the more productive I am in my waking hours. I love that you have just listed like five of the top 10 Psych Central Show podcasts that Vince and I have done. <laughs> uh, we talk about sleep hygiene all the time. We talk about this, this idea that people have with self-care being somehow, you know, bad, sleep being lazy, on and on. You just, you really covered a lot of myths that the, the people who are mentally healthy, and I'm making air quotes, in society just believe. Uh, and if you'd believe it, we'd all should be working 16 hour days, getting four hours of sleep a night, never doing anything for ourselves and being at somebody else's beck and call 24 seven, all for minimum wage. Uh, and that sounds nuts when you say it that way. But you're right. People believe these things in the abstract all the time. Oh, I know. Uh, it's fascinating to me. So, so thank you. It's totally fascinating <laughs> to me too. And um, something really cool, um, as I've come out with my condition, with my book all about it, um, which, which includes 
the self-care steps that I took towards stability, a lot of friends and family have been reading the book and they're noticing that the self-care steps I took are useful for them or for their friend who has anxiety or for the other friend who has schizophrenia. These, the self-care that we need as people with mental health conditions, everybody can benefit from following them. I know. Imagine that. Imagine that everybody has a brain that everybody should take care of. That, that, wow. wow. I wonder if other people know about this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, North American workaholism is, I think, is making us all sick. I, I completely agree. I agree too. One of the things that you didn't specifically mention, at least I don't think you did, is that it's hard to go through this all on your own. We do need a support network. So I know you're married. Tell me about the role your spouse has played in supporting you throughout all this. I'd love to. I've got to say to those who are newly diagnosed, I think finding support is essential. Not everybody has a supportive spouse like I do, and I'll get to that in a second. But finding that support network, even if, and I know many people with an undiagnosed mental health condition may have even pushed away some of all of your close support network. I know I found tremendous peer support in the support groups I joined when I was first diagnosed. And I still regularly seek peer support from the Toronto Bipolar Disorder Meetup Group. Um, I talk about support groups in my book, Sound Mind. And something that's great to remember is that even if I don't feel like going to my support group, I know that I might be a support for someone else. And we actually need each other. So my spouse is absolutely uh, rock. He is, um, you could say opposites attract, <laughs> you know, I'm a bubbly outgoing person and he's always been kind of quieter and more reserved and we balance each other out that way. I realize how incredibly lucky I am to have a supportive partner. When I'm experiencing symptoms, he can help me by sort of mirroring back to me what it is he is noticing. So if I'm experiencing a mood episode, usually I'm pretty good at knowing what's going on, but sometimes he can really see it too and he can relay to me, I'm noticing that today you've repotted all of our plants and you've been listening to this Brian Wilson record on repeat about eight times in a row while talking nonstop. Have you noticed that? And I can say, yes, I've noticed that. And then together we can take action and to um, treat my symptoms as they come up. He supports me in that he's on board as my teammate and we treat my bipolar as a team. And when it's go time, when I'm really unwell, um, we're, there, we're in it together. And I know how, how lucky I am to have someone who's willing to do that. That's great. So tell us, where can we find your book? You can find my book um, for American listeners. It's available on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble. For Canadian listeners, it's on Amazon.ca, Indigo, or Chapters. Awesome. And do you have a website that people can find just you personally? I believe you have a blog, yes? Yes. So my blog is soundmindbook.com and articles there have also been published for bphope.com and uh, soon will be uh, also published for Psychology Today magazine. And if you want to know a bit more about me as a professional cellist and educator, you can check out one word, cello erica with a K 
com. And I can be found under the handle at Cello Erica with a K on Instagram and Twitter. Well, thank you again, Erica, for being here. And thank you everyone else for tuning in. We really appreciate it. And remember, you can get one week of free, convenient, affordable, private online counseling anytime, anywhere, simply by visiting betterhelp.com slash Psych Central. We'll see everybody next week. Thank you for listening to the Psych Central Show. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you found this podcast. We encourage you to share our show on social media and with friends and family. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com slash show. Psychcentral.com is the Internet's oldest and largest independent mental health website. Psychcentral is overseen by Dr. John Grohall, a mental health expert and one of the pioneering leaders in online mental health. Our host, Gabe Howard, is an award-winning writer and speaker who travels nationally. You can find more information on Gabe at GabeHoward.com. Our co-host, Vincent M. Wales, is a trained suicide prevention crisis counsellor and author of several award-winning speculative fiction novels. You can learn more about Vincent at VincentMWales.com. If you have feedback about the show, please email TalkBack at PsychCentral.com. There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day no matter how hard you try to make them go away, and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD. 1 in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to NoCD.com to learn more. That's NoCD.com.